Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs. I hope everybody had a great Easter weekend and you're ready for uh, another week of uh, hopefully great weather, by the way, at least here. We're excited to actually have the sun out and shining. It's warm and beautiful. Uh, It was over the weekend and, and it looks like it will be for most of the week. So that's always a good thing. This week's episode is going to be episode 16, and we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapters 15 through 17 and Mark chapters 7 through 9 uh, under the theme, Thou Art the Christ. And uh, this week, we're going to specifically be looking at the transfiguration of Christ, uh, Peter's uh, declaration that Thou Art the Christ, everything just kind of pointing to who he is as he really reveals himself in some powerful ways and teaches how to get that revelation to know exactly who he is for ourselves in the process. But first, I want to give you just a quick update to a couple of changes that I'm going to be making with the format of this podcast. I've gone back and forth debating about what would be some of the best ways to make this podcast as really efficient and impactful as possible for both parents that are sharing this with their teenagers and also just teenagers in general that are listening to it. And the phrase that I keep coming back to is this, and that is (laughs) that less is more, (laughs) especially for teenagers, right? Let alone all of us. We all have so much going on, so much on our plate. It can be really hard to sit down and listen to anything over 10 minutes, let alone sometimes a half hour. And I know that a lot of these Come Follow Me podcasts um, typically run well over an hour because there's so much that they're trying to cover. The truth is I fell into that, I think, just a little bit, trying to cover as much as I possibly could, when in reality what I really wanted to do was create something for teenagers that would be short and sweet, straight to the point, that would help them to get some key things from the Come Follow Me curriculum and not necessarily teach everything. The truth is the the point and the purpose of the Come Follow Me curriculum is to help us to learn on our own, to study for ourselves, and to be taught by the Spirit. And so one of my fears is that some of these Come Follow Me podcasts are in some ways doing a great disservice because they're taking the, the teaching and the learning opportunity away from you. And I didn't want to fall into that. And so what I'm going to do moving forward is basically break up each of my episodes into roughly three segments where each segment contains just a key principle from your study this week. I'm not going to try to cover everything, but just give you a couple real kind of golden nuggets from your study that that you can take, think about, digest a little bit, and try to find ways to apply in your own life. I think that will be a much better format to use. Plus, it will also provide the opportunity for you to kind of listen to it and digest it during the week. You can maybe listen to one of the principles at the start of the week, pause it where there will be a clear pause, and then pick up at another time where you have another five to seven minutes to listen to the next one, and then the same with the next one. That way, I think it will really give you just something short and straight to the point with a few great questions for you to consider that you can kind of listen to at different points throughout the week, or if you want to, just all at once, but you'll have a a clear start and stop point for each segment so that you'll kind of know where you are. And I'll try to even put in the show notes, maybe some of the minute breaks where those segments are broken up so that you can just jump from one to the next to the next and get through them. So not not a a lot of really big changes, but enough to where I think I just wanted to to spend a minute letting you know what's coming. And and hopefully you'll agree that less is more and that the shorter segments will help you get a lot more out of your study, but also give you a lot more time to study on your own. 
So with that being said, let's just jump right into the study this week. We're going to take a look, first of all, at the context. I still like giving a, a little bit of context around what we're going to take a look at. And, and I love just pulling it right out from the curriculum itself. So again, we're looking at this week, the Pharisees and Sadducees specifically, and their request of being shown a sign from heaven to confirm who Christ was, in contrast to Peter, who discovered who Christ was on his own, who had it revealed to him in a, a much different way and a more powerful and lasting and impactful way. The, uh, the context reads as this. Isn't it strange that the Pharisees and Sadducees would demand that Jesus show them a sign from heaven? Weren't many of his well-known miracles enough? What about his powerful teachings or the multiple ways he had fulfilled ancient prophecies? Their demand was prompted not by a lack of signs, but by an unwillingness to discern the signs and accept them. In other words, they just couldn't see them. They were right in front of them, but they just couldn't see them. Peter, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, witnessed the Savior's miracles and heard his teachings, but Peter's definitive testimony, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, did not come through his physical senses, his flesh and blood, nor was it through the signs that he saw. His testimony was revealed to him by our Father, which is in heaven. Revelation is the rock upon which the Savior built his church then and now. Revelation from heaven to his servants, and this is the rock upon which we can build our discipleship. Revelation that Jesus is the Christ and that his servants hold the keys of the kingdom. When we are built upon this foundation, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Just a beautiful introduction into your study this week as you go through these particular chapters. Now, to start out today, I want to take a look at just, first of all, principle number one. And we're going to pull that from Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. We're going to start in verse 7, where once again the Lord refers to the Sadducees and the Pharisees as hypocrites when he says, Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. He called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. And before I read the, the next verse, I just first want to draw attention to what he says really is one of the problems back then. And that was that the people, especially the religious leaders of the time, had a tendency to draw near or nigh unto him with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me in verse 8. I definitely encourage you to mark that verse. Not only was that a problem back in, in Christ's day, but apparently that was a problem in Joseph's day as well. When the Lord appeared to him, he also used similar language to describe the problem of the day. When he said that men tend to draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, the reason I wanted to focus on that for principle number one is because not only was that a problem in Christ's day and apparently in Joseph's day, but it continues to be a problem in our day as well. Let me share you just with you one example that kind of illustrates this just from my own life. This example happened years ago, back when I was in college, after I had returned from my mission. My sister was working at a local restaurant here, kind of a popular one, that was always busy on the weekends. And on this particular weekend, she was a hostess at the front desk. And that particular night, they were busy as usual. And a lady came in, made her way through the crowd of people that were waiting, and promptly announced that her and her family were there for the reservations that they had made that evening. And they were now ready to be seated at their table. <laughs> well, my sister, she looked at the reservations that had made. To her horror, 
was not able to find the name of this lady and her family anywhere in the reservations. And when she informed the the lady of this and and tried to do it in a kind way, that the lady proceeded to almost throw a fit right there in front of all of the people, just talking about how terrible uh, the service was, how, how poor it was that they didn't have the reservation, that it had been lost somehow or that they'd missed it. How could they do this? This was a big, important night to her, to her family, and was just talking very harshly about the establishment and, and how could they cause this to, to happen and, and how could this happen? Well, my sister did everything that she could to try to make it right. And it took a, a few minutes, but they were able to finally get some tables put together for this family to go back to. Yet the entire way and really the entire rest of the evening, this lady continued to just, you know, throw little jabs at my sister and the restaurant and, and you know, how could they, they mess something up so important as, as this. My sister then said even at the end of the night, she took out some free dessert to them to try to smooth things over and apologize for, you know, whatever mistake had been made in not getting that reservation down. Finally, at this point, the lady had begun to soften up a little bit, to calm down, and, and they opened up a little bit of, of a friendly conversation, to which my sister asked what was the reason or the event that caused the family to come together and you know, brought them to the restaurant to, uh, to begin with. Well, my sister was not prepared for what the, the lady said uh, when she told her that the reason that they were all there was that their oldest son had just gone through the temple in preparation for his mission, and that they had all gone through to support him, and, and now they were coming out to, to celebrate that. My sister was in tears the night she explained this particular story to me and to my father, basically asking the question, how could somebody act like that after having just gone through the temple, such a, a spiritual place, which allowed my father to teach both her and I a very important truth and principle is that sometimes it can be very easy to get caught going through the motions, so much so that what we're meant to experience from them, we don't experience. In other words, he said it's very possible for somebody to go through the temple, as an example, without having the temple go through them. And that was such a profound principle for me. And I think this is one of the things that that Christ is trying to teach the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of us is that if we're not careful, it can be very easy to slip into just comfortable routines where we give him lip service. We draw near into him with our lips and sometimes even with our actions, but yet our hearts are not in it or they are far from him. God wants your heart. He wants my heart. He wants us to put our heart in those things that he asks us to do. And I think that's some of the reasons why we're seeing changes and as many changes as we have seen in the church. Things like, you know, preach my gospel becoming at the forefront instead of the memorized missionary discussions. Or even going down to two-hour church instead of three so we have a little bit more time at home. Um, Or shifting to the Come Follow Me uh, curriculum, which is really a home-based teaching uh, program. Um, We also saw it here recently with the changes in for strength of youth. Instead of a a list of things that you're supposed to do or not supposed to do, it's more just principle-based. God wants you and I to choose Him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Again, He wants our heart. And you know, I think we could see a little bit of a similar shift in the way that God works with His children throughout the Scriptures. There's a, a, a very palpable difference in the way that 
that God works with the children of Israel and giving them the law of Moses as opposed to when Christ comes and gives them the law of the gospel. Yes, one is a lot more strict. The law of Moses was a very uniform and structured uh, modality for following uh, God and, and his commandments. They were told exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. But when Christ came, he did away with that law and gave them instead the law of the gospel, which was a lot more agency-based. There was an opportunity to choose, not because you had to, but because you wanted to. And I think God is doing the same. I know he is with each of us. Yeah, there are times probably at the beginning where we needed a lot more structure and things to to be a lot more rigid. But if we're to draw down the power that we need in, in the world today and in our lives, it has to be because we choose to follow him, not because we feel like we have to or that we're told to. He wants us to make those decisions for ourselves. And I'll tell you, I saw this firsthand as a teacher of teenagers in a lot of my seminary classes. There is a, a real difference between a student who voluntarily put their phone away or put it down and participated in the lesson of their own free will and choice as opposed to whenever I tried to force the issue and, and create a structure to keep them from having their phones. There will always be so much more power when we use our agency to choose to because we want to. The Lord goes on to say in verse 11 that not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth the man. And those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. Again, it's our heart that he knows is the most important part of us, and that that is what will shape everything that we say and everything that we do. And so he wants us to give him our heart. So the question I'd like to to pose to you from this principle today is what can you do to give the Lord more of your heart in those things that he asks you to do? If you remember the story of the woman with an issue of blood, it's a very similar concept. There were many that were touching Christ, but only one was touching him deeply enough to access the power that she needed in her life. Going along with that, President Nilsson kind of pointed out that in accessing that power that we all want and we all need in our lives. He said, when you reach out for the Lord's power in your life with the same intensity that a drowning person has when grasping and gasping for air, power from Jesus Christ will be yours. Now, I know that sounds pretty intense, but that is really what it takes. In order for us to give him our heart in those moments, there needs to be an intensity and a focus. There needs to be our heart that's in it. You've heard the phrase, practice makes perfect, but having experienced uh, athletics throughout my life, I can tell you that that is not true because there were times my friends and I would goof around in practice and we that did not help us become any more perfect. In fact, it probably made things worse. No, the truth is it's perfect practice makes perfect or practice where your heart is in it. Your heart and your mind have to be in it, not just your body. It's not enough to just go through the motions. The motions have to go through you. And so I just invite you to consider how do you feel that you can best apply this principle in your own life, in your prayers, in your scripture study, maybe in in your church worship and involvement? How about in your home with your family? Young people, when you are with your family, are you really with them? Or are you just drawing near to them in action, but your heart's far from them? And of course, with the Lord, when you are with the Lord, are you really with him? Without question, there are a lot of prayers that get offered each night. And without question, God hears them all. But I wonder if some prayers don't have the ability to call down power 
and answers a little bit more quickly than others. Just a great principle for each of us to consider. How might we sometimes unknowingly get caught in the trap of drawing near to God with our lips and sometimes with our actions, but still having our heart far from Him? That's the first principle I want to take a look at today. Now, the second one, in case you need to pause there, um, is going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. In these verses, Christ is trying to teach the Pharisees and Sadducees a very important lesson about how to really see those things that matter most, which they were so much missing all of the time, even when it was right in front of them. In verse 1, it reads, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, desired him that he would shew them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. The principle here that I would like to focus on has a lot to do with the word discern. He is telling them that he that they could basically look at the sky in the evening and in the morning. They can discern what the day is going to be based on their perception and observation of the, the weather just a little beforehand. Yet, he's saying they don't have the ability to discern and to observe the signs of the times. They can observe and discern the weather, but they fail to discern and observe Christ when he's standing right in front of them. Now, discern means to perceive or recognize something, to observe Again, the Pharisees saw, but they didn't see. They didn't discern who it was that was in front of them. I remember Elder Bednar once giving a talk based on this topic. He, it would, the title of it, in fact, was Quick to Observe, the Gift of Discernment. And in this talk, he referenced Mormon from the Book of Mormon as a very young person and it, who it had pointed out about him that he was quick to observe. And Elder Bednar took hold of, of that phrase and spent his talk talking about the importance of developing that attribute in each of us, learning to be quick to observe. To observe means to perceive or recognize something. In his talk, Elder Bednar said that when we are quick to observe, we promptly look or notice and obey. We see and then we do. He said of these fundamental elements, looking and obeying, that they are both essential to being quick to observe. Now, young people, this is a tremendous quality and attribute to try to develop in yourself. Being able to be quick to observe really can go a long ways in making good choices and decisions for both yourself and others. Being able to recognize the needs of others and being able to help others and support others. Uh, there's just so much good that can come from developing this attribute in yourself. But one of the most important ways for you as a young person to be quick to observe is in following the prophet with exactness, even in the little things. I remember President Hinckley years ago referencing that a that the young women in the church would do well to only wear one pair of earrings. <laughs> now that by itself doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? So why would a prophet say something like that? And maybe more importantly, does it really matter if we were to follow something that seemingly insignificant? Well, I can't see God keeping someone out of heaven for wearing two earrings in one ear. But maybe it wasn't about the earrings at all. Maybe it's about having faith and being quick to observe and discern 
to do what a prophet asks or even mentions, no matter how small or insignificant it might appear to be. Again, maybe it had nothing to do with the earrings at all. I think for each of us, it comes down to, do we really understand what a prophet is? I mean, really understand what a prophet is. And this will be crucial for you young people as you go throughout your life. Do you really believe that a living prophet leads and directs this church? A prophet is more than just a good man, more than just even a great man. A prophet is meant to be God's mouthpiece, as if the Lord himself were speaking to us. In fact, he himself said, whether by my own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. They are referred to in the scriptures as seers and sometimes watchmen on the tower because they can see things that we can't. The question then that we're left to answer is how closely do we want to follow them and therefore how quick to observe and to discern do we want to be or to look and notice and obey. And I'll tell you this from my personal study of the scriptures, almost all the scriptures, almost all that they are, really is a a witness and a testimony to the miracles that happen when people follow a prophet and what happens when you don't. Now, some things they might ask are big, but most of the time what they ask seem to be rather small, and they often don't make sense to us. Just ask the children of Israel who were instructed to put lamb's blood on their door on the night of the the destroying angel. Of course, looking back now, it makes sense, but at the time, do you think that would seem a little, I don't know, insignificant or unimportant? Or how about to those people that were very sick and were told by Moses that all they needed to do was to, to be healed was to look at a brazen serpent on a pole and they'll be healed. Even based on the limited medical knowledge that existed back then, that doesn't seem like an effective treatment for, for poison. Or, or, how about, or how about the counsel to get on an ark when it's still sunny outside? Or how about to, to go wash in the River Jordan seven times to be healed of leprosy? Or when a widow and her son was instructed to give all that they had, a little cake and flour and oil, to the the prophet during a time of famine with the promise that if they would give to him first, that the cruise of oil and the flour wouldn't fail and that it would last throughout the drought. doesn't make a lot of sense. Or how about when a group of, of lepers asked for Christ to heal them and instead he told them to first go show themselves to the priest, which would typically happen after a healing, yet on the way they were healed. Or how about when Christ put mud in a blind man's eyes to help him to see, instructing him to go wash? It doesn't make a lot of sense either. Or how about telling a group of men to remove the stone that was blocking Lazarus' sepulcher? Or to, to, for Peter and some of those that he was fishing with to cast their net on the right side of the boat after not catching anything all night? Or how about a prophet saying, oh, you probably only ought to wear one pair of earrings, or don't watch R-rated movies, or follow the word of wisdom, or pay your tithing, or keep the Sabbath day holy. All these things may seem like small things, and things that we may not fully understand or that seem insignificant. But isn't that how prophets have always worked? I remember our bishopric still wearing masks, even though most of the ward wasn't any longer. I could see him sitting up on the stand. They still all had their masks on because they were waiting for the prophet and first presidency to set the example or give direction, changing what they had requested of members to do. Now, one of the things that we were urged to do recently that I know was very divisive among members of the church was to get our COVID vaccine. The first presidency has sent out a letter urging members to get that vaccine. 
And again, I, I know initially, especially there was a lot of contention. It was very divisive with many members having very strong opinions on what should be done in terms of either getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. President Nelson made sure to also add some clarifying statements to help everyone know that ultimately that we're responsible f to make our own choices and decisions, especially about vaccinations, that you know, if we have concerns that we should counsel with competent medical professionals and, of course, seek the guidance of the Holy Ghost. So inevitably, it is our choice. It will always be our choice, which is why really in any situation with any direction or any counsel, we should always seek the, the counsel of the Holy Ghost to help us to know what would be best to do for us in our situation. Now, that being said, I think the point that I would like to make is that what if the prophet was a lot more direct about something like that, something that was controversial, like, say, a vaccine? Would we have the faith to follow that even if it didn't make sense to us or we didn't fully agree with it? I think as an example, if this were the case in this situation, which clearly they've given a little bit more leniency for us to decide for ourselves, but had they been more direct, would we have the faith to do it? Even, again, if it didn't fully make sense to us. See, in order to follow some of the counsel that we may be asked to, to follow, our faith can't be in what they ask us to do. Our faith can't be in lamb's blood above a door. Our faith can't be in a serpent on a pole. Our faith can't even be in a vaccine. Our faith has to be in them. It has to be in God. That's where the healing power comes from. That's where the, the strength comes from. That's where the support comes from. So when it comes down to following a prophet, it's not about what they ask us to do, but it's about who is asking us to do it. And I know for myself, I want to follow the, the prophet as closely as I can because I have just seen enough in scripture where whenever a group of people or individuals follow a prophet, they are blessed. And whenever they don't, there are always problems. And that's just how it's always been. And I'm still working on it. I took my mask off well before the first presidency directed us to because I just hated wearing my mask. But I was observant of how closely others had decided to follow the prophet. And I want to be more like that. I really believe that in the winding up scenes here in the last days on this earth, it will become as crucial to follow the prophet today as it was for those to listen to Noah in the days leading up to the, uh, the flood. I want to make sure that I am where they are and doing what they're doing when it all goes down. I have read enough in scripture to know how vital it is to follow a prophet, even when it doesn't make sense and when we may think that we know better. So the thing I'd like to present to you in, in this thought and being quick to observe and developing that in yourself is what can you do to be more quick to observe the counsel and directions of our prophet and leaders and then act on them and follow them? A good place to start would be just this past conference. Are you aware of what President Nelson asked us to do this past conference? Have you been quick to observe his actions to be a peacemaker and avoid contention and even to offer forgiveness? Just another great principle to consider as you go through your study this week. And how can you better develop the capacity and the ability to be quick to observe in many different things, but especially when it comes to following our prophet? Now, the third principle I want to share with you today comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, and involves a conversation that Christ has primarily with Peter. And through this conversation, the Savior really is, is teaching us, one, how we can come to know who He is for ourselves, but also how important the process is 
to really being able to establish ourselves on a sure foundation so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. In Starting in verse 13, uh, it reads, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And then I just love Peter's answer in verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this really is a beautiful principle to end on, and kind of ties very nicely into these other two. Yes, it is very important that we draw near to God with our hearts. He wants our hearts. And in order for us to do that, we really need to learn how to be quick to observe, to observe the needs of others, to quick to observe the things that we're doing wrong, the things that we are doing right, quick to observe how important it is to follow the instruction and counsel of our prophets. But in connection with those things, the most important function that they all have to do is to point us to Christ and to help us to develop a personal relationship with him. At the end of the day, God doesn't want us to just follow anything blindly. He wants us to know things for ourselves. And in order to receive that kind of inspiration and revelation, it requires us giving our heart to follow the prophets. But in doing that, the whole intent is for us to develop again that relationship and that testimony of who Christ is and to recognize the significance of revelation in that process. The prophet Joseph Smith himself taught that the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. The most important thing that you and I could ever learn for ourselves is to be able to answer that question the way that Peter did and to know for ourselves that Jesus is the Christ. So much more than a good man or a good person that that he is literally the son of the living God and the redeemer of the world. And the most important aspect of that is as he teaches Peter that it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed it to him, but his father, which was in heaven. And that that process, the process of receiving guidance and answers and direction through revelation is what provides a foundation for us and is the foundation on which the church is established. And I think in a lot of ways, we can take the context that is being taught here in these verses and even apply it to helping us gain our own testimony and witness, not just of Christ, but of everything related to the gospel, and especially as it relates to living prophets. I could foresee God asking a very similar question as it relates to President Nielsen. Whom do men say that President Nielsen is? But whom say ye that President Nielsen is? It could be two very different answers and hopefully are two very different answers. I know for myself that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I know that President Nelson is a living prophet on the face of the earth today and speaks the words that I need to hear in my life that will help me to navigate the challenges that are existent in our world today and in my life particularly but also the words that can help me to better connect with, find, have access to, and develop a relationship with Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And all you have to do is look at all the changes that have been made here recently, especially in the church, in big ways and small ways. Hopefully you've been observant of some of those. Everything from the Come Follow Me program to Preach My Gospel to even the logo um, of the church and even the name of the, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. To everything is being directed to point us more fully to Christ and to develop that relationship with Him, which is the most important relationship that we could have. So there you go. Three great, what I consider to be great principles from this week's study. I hope some of those are helpful. and just giving you some things to think about. Maybe set up the tone for your own personal study because there is so much more for you to get out of it as you go through and read these chapters on your own. The whole purpose behind all of this is to help you be able to answer that question that Christ asked for yourself. But whom say ye that I am? My hope is, is that like Peter, we can all answer and will answer with an affirmative Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that that knowledge is ours and ours alone and can never be taken from us because it wasn't given to us by anyone, but it was given to us by our Father in heaven through the spirit and power of revelation. Well, thanks for listening this week, you guys. I hope you have a great week and I'd love to any of your feedback as well on any of these format changes that we're going through. I know this episode be, ended up being a little bit longer than what I would normally shoot for, but I think some of that was due to the explanation that I needed to give you at the beginning. But uh, looking forward to being able to just share some of these just key principles in a very quick and uh, hopefully efficient way to where you can kind of listen to them and digest them through throughout uh, the week in very small segments. Um, I'm looking forward to that, and I think that'll be a great way for this podcast to really grow and and evolve and and make a difference out there, especially for you young people that are listening. As always, as I like to close, remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and he invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everybody, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.